The world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layer timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve is available from $995. Current users can download the update for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagic-design.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and today we're finishing off my interview with the team from Be Real. Now, with that team, we have Adele Major, we have Patrick Bloom, and Patrick Erlen. We're going to focus on two projects today that they did, the Asylum slash Hotel 626, as well as the big project that I'm excited about, which is the Wilderness Downtown. Now, if you haven't seen the Wilderness Downtown project, you're probably in the minority, but you have to go see it. So you have to use Google Chrome. You have to go to www.thewildernessdowntown.com. And essentially what's going to happen is you input your information, so you input your address, and the music video will become about you. So check that out, pause this interview, listen and watch the music experience, and then come back and listen to the interview. The other thing I want to mention before we get into this interview, make sure to rate us on iTunes, check out our app in the App Store, just search for AOTG, make sure to tell your friends about us, and don't forget to check out our friends at That Post Show with Kane and Flowers. Now they do some great roundtables as well as one-on-one interviews, and they end up having some very interesting discussions. So go check them out. Uh, It's the new year, so I'm not too sure what shows are coming up for them. I also want to make sure to remind you before we get into this interview, check out our daily editing news system. So if you go to AOTG.com and you click on tools, there's actually a news tool that we have. And if you click on that, you can actually go through and choose what type of editing information is sent to your email each day. So if you don't have an app, because you can do this with our app, what you can do is you can actually go sign up, put in the information you want, and it'll send it to you via email. So AOTG.com, click on the tools option at the top, and you're set to go. Alright? In the meantime, enjoy my interview with the team from Be Real. For any story in, in traditional film, we have the beginning, middle, and end. But with the online interactivity, you don't know where the audience is going to come in. They might come in at the end, they might come in in the middle, they might only get little fragments of the project. How do you determine or how do you work with the director to ensure that the story or the characters are still going to engage this audience? even if they only get these small moments? I think for, for most projects that we have done, we often kind of you have to start from the beginning. You yeah. can't necessarily jump into the middle of it. Of course, when it is interactive, there are ways for them to jump certain chapters and go further down. But we try to eliminate those kind of jumps in time so that it is, they would have to go through as much of the story as possible at least the key points, because once a user has jumped too much over time, none of the story will make sense and they will be confused. And it's like watching a movie from the, from the middle. Exactly. In the storytelling, it's, it's going to be hard to jump in later then. Yeah. But then there's also the fact of like, we did this one project for um, Toshiba and Intel. 
that was actually driven very much by the social community. And then we created this other project called uh, True Blood Dig Deeper for HBO, which was we went to LA and shot a TV commercial uh, with, with a director, but then we shot it all in uh, 4K with, with a red camera. And then online, you could actually, step by step, you could look at every frame of the project at 4K. And in the background of while you see this kind of a, this man walk through the actual commercial, in the background, you can see all these clues that relate to True Blood. And what the users had to do, it was basically a game where they would have to find these clues. And while we were creating this project, we were like, these clues are impossible. Like, we, I don't know how anybody's going to know this jar from the third season of True Blood that was on person's table. Once we released it and True Blood, the Facebook account, posted it, after an hour and a half, people collectively had figured out all the clues. <laughs> and there was like 11,000 comments where they were discussing and talking with each other, figuring out which are all these clues. And that to us is so crazy, the fact that like, because of the social media, it's, it's not that much about a, a single experience. When people like were in trouble, they reached out to other people. It seemed to be like a natural uh, thing to do. And they just started talking about it and, they cracked the code very, very fast. Wow. The True Blood one is the reason I was thinking of the archiving, because I couldn't, I could find little snippets that were saying, this is coming, or check out the Facebook account for the videos or the, the frames. Yeah. But I couldn't really track it down and, and find everything. So that's yeah. why I, I kind of have no questions about that. <laughs> and it's also because uh, we haven't put it on our archive. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. that's one thing that's really hard for us, though, because all of this does take a lot of work, and then... It feels like it disappears. It well, some format of it will always disappear, even if we archive it, because it won't be that same experience again. And I think that's a big difference. I talk to a lot of my friends who work in traditional post, and they get upset if they don't get an IMDb credit. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but our stuff just disappears, and it's really sad. Yeah. Now, for Asylum 626, you guys were utilizing Facebook and Twitter to get the word out people would have to save their friends from chainsaw killers and and you know scream at their computer and what have you but if you announce too many things on someone's social network you deter people from joining but you also need to utilize that to get people into the game so where do you draw the line in social media to not i guess spam to use a bad word people but also to get enough word out to pull people in. How do you determine that line? Often we try to give that decision to the user as well, like rather than yeah. us spamming them. It's yeah. more letting them do the sharing and not trying to force them to say things either. It's kind of like we need to trust in the experience enough that the user is going to do that part of the heavy lifting themselves. Yeah. Nothing is more annoying than like going through an experience and then suddenly going through a Facebook page and then you see a posting from by that app yeah underneath your own name which is very rude in a sense so <laughs> yeah so what we try to do is to give as much control to the user mm -hmm. they are asked to do it for example in the in the case of uh, hotel 626 they were asked to to post so it is it's not uh, automatically done or we motivate them to do it within the story. Like I yeah. think in Hotel 626, or it could have been Asylum, I can't remember which one, you had to rescue one of your friends on Facebook. So you were using Facebook to progress the story, which I think is 
better than just stick this post on your wall. Yeah. Sorry, timeline. Yeah, and that's a challenge for us too. I mean, you mentioned the browsers and different technological capabilities being a challenge, but also, I mean, Facebook and Google Plus, they change their APIs as well. So we always have to be on the lookout if we've built something that flies on Facebook, then if they change that, then our experience can be affected. So it's something else we have to take into account in our planning. And that is something like whatever we do, you can't really rely on what you did before. You have mm. like the, the, the whole industry is moving forward so fast. From a technological point of view, everything's always going to change. Like in the beginning, we had Flash as, as a platform that allowed us to kind of create a consistent experience uh, between all of these browsers. And now when you think of the landscape, there's five different browsers, there's many different versions of those, there's, there's tens of different tablets, and there's hundreds of different phones. So it's changing at, at an increasing pace. So it's based on every project, we kind of have to evaluate from the ground up what is the best way to do this. Okay, and how do you keep up with all this constant shift of information? When nerds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's hard to say. I don't know, there's, there's some sort of drive. You want to do, you want to create the best possible experience. So that's why you research into it and see what's the best way to do it. Then there's also the point of storytelling, which is very much the same. Like the core of, uh, of storytelling is still the same no matter what platform you're or device you're showing it on so there's some knowledge that can of course be shared yeah. between projects i'd like to jump to the wilderness downtown project just because i'm a huge fan of it i was wondering if you could i guess for those who haven't seen it give a bit of an overview of what the project is and how you guys got involved with it it's an interactive music video for arcade fire directed by uh, chris milk it was a project that we did with uh, with Google, and it was supposed to uh, promote the HTML5 features of Google Chrome, their browser. And how did you guys get involved with this project? We worked with the Google Creative Lab. They reached out to us to work with them for figuring out how to actually produce it. Because at that point, HTML5, there wasn't really an experience like it done in HTML5 because the actual technology was was quite young at that point. So it was very much a pioneering project. Yeah. We had to figure out a lot of things. That was going to be one of my questions. It was so early because Google Chrome had just come out maybe a year before, if I remember correctly. So again, it's back to that. You had to learn this new program or this new language, HTML5 and CSS3. When you were programming it, you had to also take into account the viewers or the audience's eyes and where they were on the screen or where they were viewing. So I was wondering how you determined your screen structure for this project and what your approach was to determining where to open up the boxes that appeared, the new browser windows. Yeah, we built a lot of tools to be able to control them and to kind of sequence them and record our sequencing to get it the way we want it, basically. So that having those tools accessible for the director and the team to together then figure out what would be the best way and when they should pop up and where they should pop up was immensely helpful for the entire process. 
as an editor, whenever I'm working, I might get the footage from the cinematographer and I can tell, okay, you know, the background's out of focus, so it forced the audience to look at a particular area of the shot. In this case, that's not the case, really. There's not really um, a focus that goes in and out that you can control. So how would you figure out where the audience was looking in the browser? I think people often look at the window that just opened, like the newest thing people are usually interested in. So that's why closing windows and opening them in a sequence so that we could kind of present them with new information, even though it could might be a similar scene as before. Mm-hmm. But it was opened in a new window, which, which attracted attention. And that window could show a new angle of the same event happening or yeah. continue to drive a story forward. Okay. And of course, we have segments where we don't have that many pop-ups, where it's more film playing, and then they come back again. And Where did, and, and this kind of goes back to a similar question I asked with Asylum, but where did the coding for this end and the 3D animation begin or the editing or camera work come in? Because there's... There's moments where it could be coding or it could be 3D animation or it could be from the Google Maps. If you could help us break that down for the audience. I think the way it started, it it was actually, it was first storyboarded and then those storyboards were cut to music just to get like a rough idea of how the structure of it will be or what we would want to reach. Because at that point, when you're dealing with this kind of a project, you have a lot of different people involved. You have developers, you have 3D people, uh, you have the director, you have the DP. So we try to create early on some sort of representation of what it will be, even if it's very, very rough, Mm -hmm. so that you can talk as a group around something that's visual so everybody can kind of see the vision. And from there, I think then all of these things started at the same time, right? Yeah, we moved into doing animatics and rough 3D renders and stuff to put in as placeholders and the development continued forward from there. Yeah, and developers worked throughout the whole project Yeah, actually figuring out how to put all of this together, which was also a big thing. Normally you just render everything into a QuickTime movie and deliver it, <laughs> which we sometimes dream of. That much of control of what you're putting out there, but it is very much a lot of our job is to make it come together in a good way in the end depending on what type of a machine somebody is and screen resolution, like you mentioned, there's a lot of work that goes into making it a consistent experience throughout uh, different machines and platforms. Everybody works together. Was there any major change from the script phase to the final project? In a film, it's constantly changing. So, you know, you get on set, it changes slightly. You get to post, we'll recut it, reorganize it. But in this, because you're working with VFX, coding, stuff that takes an immense amount of time and energy and and thought process. Were there huge shifts in the story from script to screen? I think the core of the story kept very much to the original uh, treatment from Chris Milk, like the actual concept of the story. Some of the visuals changed throughout the development process because there were some scenes that didn't work well enough due to like JavaScript performance and things like these. The core of the project stayed the same, but the way it's interpreted and visualized changed throughout the project depending mm-hmm. on different factors. Now, was there anything left on the cutting room floor? So anything that was going to be in it that you guys really liked that ended up not working that you removed? I think there was a scene where we had a spinning panorama and there were trees growing in 3D that 
seemed to be too heavy for most users. So there were simple scenes like those, I think. Really, I just have one last question for you guys. Uh, and this is one I ask all the editors and producers that I interview, and that's, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film? <laughs> I don't know. I like terrible 70s midday movies, like Death Car on the Freeway. That's, yeah. I love those 70s midday movies. I loved being sick when I was at school because it meant I got, got to stay home and watch those terrible 70s movies. Everyone wears beige overcoats. Has anyone ever noticed that? Everyone in the 70s wore beige overcoats. But I love those films. I love those ridiculous kind of dramatic thrillers. Patrick, you must have one. No, for me, it's, it's co old comedies from uh, my home country, from Finland, <laughs> that I like. Um, I, I guess all those movies are nostalgic, and those are the ones that I like to watch sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's tricky. I, I, I've been really stuck in like these old World War II movies from back <laughs> in the day. That could be like a real like, uh, guilty pleasure movie for me. Uh, well, thank you very much for letting me interview you guys. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. So that was my interview with Patrick, Patrick, and Adele. Now, I have to tell you, their work blows me away. Their work... I just searched their site now for cool stuff that they're working on. So go to their site, b-real.com, and click on the digital section, and you'll notice some of the cool projects that they're working on. Adele actually sent me a Christmas discussion with Santa that they did for Verizon. If you go to b-real.com, you can check it out, and you sort of talk to Santa, basically, and tell him what you want for Christmas. Other than that, I want to thank Adele, I want to thank Patrick. And, of course, the other Patrick. I'd like to thank Lauren Woodcock, my producer. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.